Jeff Bajoric is a sales trainer, advisor, and coach for B2B sales leaders. He's a speaker, an author, and he's a mentor to folks like myself. I've been acquainted with Jeff for many years and have always appreciated his perspective and his lessons on sales effectiveness and sales consulting. In this episode, he gives us an intimate peek into the journey of a top sales consultant. The core of the discussion is on the importance and the process of clarifying your go-to-market message as a sales consultant. Anyone on a sales consulting journey has to listen to this. I guarantee you're going to relate to Jeff's journey of taking a step back after seven years to clarify his messaging around his offerings. We're also going to talk about his approach to content creation and what it really means to sell with integrity and to sell like you. All right, Jeff, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. As you know, you're uh, not only a friend, but a mentor and someone I've learned a lot from. I appreciate the signed copy of your book as well. So those that uh, are listening, make sure you, make sure you grab that. Uh, I'm going to start with, we were talking offline and you, you shared with me some changes you've made recently to your business or some changes you're underway of making in the last six months, mm-hmm. you've been on a journey to what I understand, redefine <laughs> and reclarify your offerings and those sorts of things. What would you call that process? And can you, for the listeners and those that are looking at getting into consulting, what would you tell them about this process? About, about getting lost in the wilderness on my professional identity crisis. Right. Um, you're just going to rip that bandaid right off right now. I'm, I'm, I, I see the light through the end of the forest, but I, I'm not all mm. the way there yet. Um, it's interesting. You know, you, you get into a business and you know, you're capable. There's something inside you that makes you believe that you can be good at something. That's why you pursue it. Right. And I think salespeople, anybody, but salespeople especially have a really good way of trying to talk themselves out of those intuitions. Hmm. And we're very logical. We've been burned so many times by the sure thing deals that find a way to not fall through. Like you, you learn to become more skeptical. So when you take something like your career mm-hmm. and you want to play around with it, you know, people are like, what are you, why are you have a really good job, Jeff? Why are you, well, because this really good job isn't really good for me anymore. And I need to do something different. And I think I can do this. So you have this belief and, and you get into it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then mm-hmm. sometimes that belief gets the best of you. And sometimes that belief um, makes you get a little too big for your britches. Sometimes that belief makes you forget some of the things that you need to do in order to run a business. Now, starting a consulting business or getting doing freelance consulting work, like there's a business to be run there and you have to work on the business, you have to work in the business, you have to be thinking of the business, you have all these things. And um, what I've learned in the seven and a half years that I've been in business is that I am not a great marketer, as good of a sales guy mm-hmm. as I am, and I don't think there are very many better than me, we can define what better is at another time, but there are some marketing aspects that I don't do well. And a lot of those marketing things you really have to have. So you get blinded with, but I'm really good at this. People listen to me. They want to know more. They ask me for more. But if you can't check the boxes in the marketing realm of, you know, who's your ideal client? Who do you want to work with? Who are you most effective working with? And the most important one is, what exactly do you do? And that is, oh, well, I'm, I'm a coach. I'm a consultant. I'm a trainer. I'm a whatever. Well, well, what does that mean? Right. 
and well, Derek, it means whatever you want. What do you need? I'm a sharp guy. I've got <laughs> That's a lot where of I was going to go with that. I know it's things. Just, so what, what do you need it to be? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, when when everything you do is custom, that sounds really good. You know, you, you feel like you're offering something. I'm not going to be boxed in. I'm not going to be painted into a corner. I'm going to give you what you need. You just got to trust me. Well, if you can't explain what you do, if you can't put yourself in a box, how easy do you think it is for a client, a customer, a prospect to put you in that box. Mm -hmm. And that's what I realized. And, and so it's a long way to start to answer your question. But, you know, when I started, I got a client that basically took me out of my full-time gig. I had permission from my full-time job. It was the best job I'd ever had. It just wasn't going to be the job for me for much longer. And, you know, a small opportunity turned into a big opportunity. And I worked with that company for five and a half years. And it was big enough for me to keep my bills paid. It was a pay cut, but it was a big enough job for me to keep, get my bills paid and try to figure out how to run a business. And I learned a lot, but I was caught up in the enthusiasm of others. I was caught up in the quality of my content, actually. It's not a meritocracy. Mm. Uh, I learned that way too late. And I got caught up in um, the, really the, the, the concept of, I'm doing the same things that my mentors are advising me to do. I'm doing the same things that other people around me were doing. And what I didn't learn until far too late was that I was probably a year and a half to two years too late to be successful doing it that way. I just not, you know, I, I don't surf, but I've tried. And if you don't catch that wave at the right point, if you're just a little behind it, you go nowhere. And that's kind of where I got stuck. And so it took me a long time to recognize this. And I had a bunch of pipeline that was like ready to go. And then all of a sudden it wasn't ready to go. I'd never seen so much pipeline disappear for so many valid reasons at this. I mean, it was just like one of those things that happens twice in your career, maybe. And it happened at the wrong time. And all of a sudden I'm like, man, I, I need to be able to just pick up the phone and call people. I know I can sell, but then it was the worst case of, um, uh, call reluctance I'd ever had. I literally, wow, I know wow. I can sell, mm -hmm. but I didn't know what I was selling. In terms and of selling yourself. Or yeah. And mm -hmm. if I don't know what I'm selling, how does anybody know what they're buying? So I had to I go. think when you said, when we spoke offline and you were talking about yeah. how the, com the complacency set in, like the transition that you had, which we'll get into a little bit more, mm -hmm. the, um, you know, the fact that you had a paying gig that was relatively stable, set up you know this new client that you could uh segue to right uh maybe that's mm -hmm. not how everyone gets in but you had that and it was enough and i think you had mentioned about the complacency where you didn't really need to do much outreach you didn't need there's a lot of stuff you didn't need to do because you were comfortable relatively with the client in the project that you had and i was comfortable enough and mm -hmm. led enough to believe that it wasn't really ever going away and so it was like, okay, you got the golden goose. Don't kill the golden goose. Right. Whatever you do, don't screw that up. So it wasn't so much that it was complacency as much as, although there was a little bit of that, I'm, I'll own up to that. But the idea that I don't want to push my boundaries to the point where yeah, I have young kids. It's really important to me that they have respect for their dad and their dad's around and I'm not just on a plane 
flying all over the place all the time. You know, um, it was really important to me that my marriage, you know, continued to thrive. And, you know, there's all these things that, you know, the the world will find, the universe will find a way to conspire against you whenever Mm. you're trying to level up. And it will go as, it'll go far out of its way to convince you that you're doing just fine. And that you should be grateful for that. And you shouldn't, you know, fly too close to the sun and, and, and all those things. And um, so it was, it was complacency and fear and a perfect storm of those emotions. And also the Jeff, just keep doing what you're doing. It's going to pop, man. I'm, I'm getting invited to speak at conferences that mentors of mine are putting on. I'm being, you know, fed, um, uh, referrals and things. Hey, Jeff, I, I look, my practice is so busy. I have more referrals and more prospects that I know what to do with. I don't do this. I don't trust very many people to do this, but I'm going to pass this lead along to you because I know that you will treat my best selling author reputation very well, right? Like my, uh, I had earned the trust of my peers, but I had not earned really the, the recognition of my prospects. And I did not understand how the words, the messaging, the concepts, I didn't understand how to interpret what I was doing and articulate what I was doing in any meaningful way directly to the people I needed to to, to reach. And that's where I really got stuck. And so then I have to go back and realize that it's not a selling issue, Jeff. You have a selling issue because you have a marketing issue. Your call reluctance comes from the fact that you aren't prepared to go to market. And that's when I had to search and that's when I had to really go deep and do that hard work that I had put off for seven years because, well, one, I didn't really want to do it. I thought I was getting away with something. Mm-hmm. And two, um, I had enough momentum and enough people convincing me that I didn't really need to do it that way. And uh, when it finally came to a head, it was, there were some dark times at the end of the summer and into the fall in 2022. But mm-hmm. what was really interesting, Derek, was that every step I took and I'd have high days followed by low days, followed by what am I doing? Am I irresponsible? Should I just go get a job? Like, I know I can go sell things. And I know I can lead people. So you, you did know, think the- about maybe giving up at times. I was going to ask you that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough journey out there. It's ups and downs, ebb and flows, all those things. But yeah, do we get tempted with going back into, you know, taking a sales management type of, of position maybe or selling. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's as difficult as it is. There's always that, right. You know, it'd be, I could make the same money and it would be easier, right? It wouldn't be as fulfilling. It wouldn't be as inspiring, but um, you know, there's a time and place where it's like, yeah, but my kids really like to eat and I like to play golf. <laughs> so, you know, one of those things is more important than the other. Of course um, the kids will find a way, but the, um, <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, right. the the idea that they, their dad's um, a good salesperson. I'm sure they know right. that as well. <laughs> am, am I doing the right thing here? Right. I have responsibilities to myself yeah. to push myself. I have responsibilities to my family to provide for them. Um, and I, I'm on this journey, you know, as a human being to decide what I'm what I'm here for. And me... what go ahead. No, I I'm sorry to interrupt. I because you've mentioned no, the okay. kids a few times and I when we were speaking. I think believe they're 13 and 11 now. You started your business 2015. So they would have been five and three about, which is, you know, they were really young. What kind of stressors did that put on the family when you made that transition? I know you 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 mentioned you took a slight step back. And I mean, I have three daughters 
when I first got into uh, consulting and starting Three Link, uh, you, you know, you were you were there. You, we, we were we were yeah. in connection regularly, um, and it didn't like take off, you know, right away. Mm-hmm. It was a struggle, and you get that first client. Similar story where I felt good; it was paying enough, and uh, you know, I kind of got comfortable, if you will. Similar story there, but you know, along that way, I. I I can tell you firsthand the level of effort that I was putting into trying to start my own thing. All nighters were more frequent. You know, you're up late at night, you're up early in the morning, you know, and I didn't balance very well. I'll, I'll be honest that it was, it was difficult to balance time with the family and time with this other baby of mine that yeah. I was trying to trying to you know, build out of nothing. So I'm curious how vulnerable can you get with us about what that looked like, uh, you know, within the Bajoric household? Um, I think I did a pretty good job actually. Uh, good for you. Uh, yeah. I'm, uh, I think one of the things that has always driven me is my refusal to be an absentee father. Mm. And I, I didn't want to be that for my kids. So I probably overcompensated. Um, and I, I think what that probably did, you know, you throw that into the mix with the complacency and the, the, no, Jeff, just keep doing what you're doing kind of mix that we were talking about before. Um, you, you, you believe what you want to believe, especially when credible people tell you what you want to hear. So. I knew in the back, I could use that. I could say, you know, it's, it's funny for as much as I fought the battle of, yeah, Derek, for instance, you know, we'll, we'll just use your name. You know, I know you see what I'm doing and I know you believe in me. And yeah, I don't know if I totally agree with you because there's something in my belly that just says I don't have it all figured out and I need to check this box. So I'm going to argue with you here, but later when it comes to down to, am I going to spend time with my kids or am I going to go do that hard work that puts me in the wilderness for a while? Derek thinks I'm going to be all right. Maybe I should go play with the kids, right? Like it's a convenient Mm. choice to make. And, you know, I don't, and that's, that's as real as I can get with anybody really. I mean, that's what it was. It's, you know, plausible deniability. Sometimes it's just the, the, um, sometimes you believe it. Sometimes you don't. I mean, these are choices that everybody faces every single day. It's right. the same choice as, you know, should I pick up the phone or can I send this email? Or I know this person's on my prospect list today, but uh, I don't know exactly what to say. So I'm just going to wait. Oh, maybe tomorrow I'll know what to say. Well, or, oh, urgency. hey, there's, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's so, I've, I've, I struggle with that stuff the same way anybody else does. It's just at a different level than some other people. And I, I read, I heard this. Oh yeah, it was just this weekend. I watched the uh, I watched the documentary, the uh, Jonah Hill documentary about his therapist. It's called Stutz on on LinkedIn or on LinkedIn on uh, Netflix. And uh, gosh, what was it that he said? He said I was under the assumption. Jonah Hill says this. He said I was under the assumption that the people I looked up to didn't have the same issues that I had. I, that's a bad paraphrasing. That's not exactly the word, but it was something. And then his, his therapist is like, that's absurd. Right. He just starts laughing. He said, that's absurd. The, the The people you look up to have the same problems you have. Your prospects have the same problems you have. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. We're all human yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's just, it's funny. You know, you, you start, you start thinking, 
okay, I'm going to, when the time I get to that level, I'm not going to have these problems anymore. Or I need to eliminate these problems so I can get to that level or whatever. Like it just, there's all the confusion, all the, the pressure. I'm the sole breadwinner in this house. There's a ton of pressure on me. And so when I decided to change, to, to get into this business, kids five and three, you know, when we made the decision and full support from my wife, obviously she's like, Jeff, we're going to figure it out. I believe in you, but I'll tell you what, where you're at right now, it's not sustainable. So we got to do something. Hmm. This is as good as any, and it's better. The, the, the upside is better. It's going to be tough for a while, but this is the right path. And I knew that every day that I did this, it made me more marketable to get an executive job somewhere. And the more industries I could work with outside of you know, the medical devices and that where I came from, um, the more marketable I could be, mar more marketable I could be outside those industries. And that was another thing that I kind of stacked against myself, Derek, was my bread and butter is in healthcare. I speak the language. I have a degree in that field. I worked in that field professionally before I got into sales. And then I sold in that field for 11 years. That is my, uh, that's home for me. Right. Home base. Right. But at the time that world seemed really small and it was something I wanted to get out of. So I wanted to spread my wings a little bit. And so as part of my messaging or branding or whatever, I could have stuck around in healthcare and I chose not to. So I went away from my strength, went into the wilderness, <laughs> you know, all these things. I did a lot of things that most marketing people would advise me against. <laughs> right. You took I a learned... chance, man. You followed your heart, right? Like it's, there's not a, a book necessarily for this. There's no like blueprint all the time. And I, right. that's, that's the important piece of unpacking your journey is that, you know, there's someone listening to this that's contemplating getting into consulting, maybe they're in it and they're not sure what the next step for them might be or, or whatnot. But I think there's someone that could benefit from realizing that we all have different paths to follow to get to a point that we wanted to be at. You know, um, I didn't go to school to be a sales consultant neither. Right. So yet here I am. Um, it's, it's interesting though. There's all this stuff. I want to bring it back a little bit. There's all this stuff that you're unsure of. And and you're not going to know what your elevator pitch is going to be when you get going. You know, you don't always have to know that. This and right. typically right. people who think they know that, they put it into practice and they realize that it's something different, right? They, they, they end up settling into something um, that they didn't necessarily intend to. And so there's this balance of things that you know and things that you don't know and, and you're okay with not knowing yet, but you know you need to figure out along the way. Right. One thing that I have never been more sure of is that I'm really good at what I do. I can't always articulate why or how, but I know I'm different and I reach people differently than a lot of others out there do. I can say the same thing other people will say and and there will be people who are leaning in where other, you know, in other audiences or on other webinars or in other books, whatever it is, podcasts, people are kind of zoning out and, and, and tuning out. So I, I don't know exactly what part of the magic, you know, mystical brew that, that, you know, converts to for me, but I, I do know that I reach people that other people can't reach in ways they can't be reached. And I think of um, those people, to be honest with you, I'm not, and I know you're my guest here on the show and it might get a little, pull the violin out a little bit, but I definitely feel like I'm one of those people who was uh, very uh, admired you and still admire you a ton from the content and what you were putting out and the podcast interviews. I mean, you take a very 
uh, uh, authentic approach towards sales and helping people improve their effectiveness. So I don't know. I, it, I definitely would toot your horn. I think you definitely, you definitely connected with me as in, in, in that audience. Well, well, thank you. It's the tough part though, is like, okay, how do I put that into words? Right. And then how do I put that on a website? And then how do I put that on a business card or on a LinkedIn profile or whatever? And then you get lost in the LinkedIn police and you get lost in all mm. the other, and, and you forget that most of the people stirring up trouble on LinkedIn have a steady paycheck right? and and they can afford to stir things. There, there is no pressure. <laughs> for them. I see these account executives like, I'm just going to post on LinkedIn every day from now until the end of the year. And I'm going to triple my follower count and I'm going to put out a how-to guide. And all of a sudden I'm going to become some influencer. I'm like, you're an account executive with time to burn. Like this is a hobby for you. Like, I mean, you're good at your hobby. Okay. You have some compelling things to say. Okay. It's a different story. Yeah, we're, we're over here trying to monetize this. It's a little bit different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're going to criticize those with how dare they gate their content or put calls to action in their posts. Like, mm. oh, geez. And as soon as I put a link in, LinkedIn doesn't want me to be, LinkedIn doesn't want me to make money on LinkedIn. Yeah. You got to put it in the comments, all this stuff. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> and it still ratchets it down. Right. So you have all these things kind of working against you, conspiring in that way. And it's like, you have to realize that, um, and I was talking to someone about this earlier today, it's like, you have to realize that a lot of people out there are playing a different game than you. And, and playing by a different set of rules, et cetera. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 100%. And so yeah. what do you really want out of this? And you have a choice as to how frustrated you get. You well, have a choice. You, you put a lot of, you put a lot of content out. You have the podcast. I do. You're right. And, um, you know, really good thought provoking content, not just flash, you know, flash in the pan stuff, um, stuff that get, makes you think and stuff that's actionable. But how do you balance the time of creating content, servicing clients and actually doing your own outreach for new clients, et cetera, that I mean, and, and not only the, how do you manage the balance, but do you think the investment that you're making in your content strategy is giving you the expected returns? Depends on how you define extent or um, expected returns. Um, you know, given the superstitions I was led to believe early on, I thought, you know, I'd be writing, I, I thought I'd be, you know, in the eight figures by now, right? With the content and, the, and I, what I feel is really high quality content. Um, but I mentioned this before, it's not a meritocracy. So you can have great content, but if you have great content and you don't have the necessary focus, you're going to lose to someone who has worse content, but more focus. Mm. Like focus and execution is the entire name of the game. That's the same for sales, the same for sales management. It's the same for consulting. It's the same for basket weaving. It's the same for, you know, like, you know, anything other than like super elite, you know, when do, but even at the super elite levels, it, that's just a combination of elite talent and elite focus, right? I mean, that, that's, that's what, that's what you get, but focus is going to win the day. And not having a specific focus, but spreading things around, not realizing it's okay to repeat yourself. Like you need to say something yeah. 12 times it because, and, and someone might hear it all 12 times, but most people aren't. Um, most people, the 12th time you say it are only hearing it for the first time. And the other people needed to hear it three or four times before they were ready to act. Here I am assuming that everybody's reading every post. And if I start repeating myself, I'm some kind of fraud. And I heard a podcast this morning, I was at the gym 
and it was someone who had, was talking to Gary V and Gary V was like, and all the, con you, you think I create content, Gary V, right? Yeah. Right, right. He's like, I have, I say seven things. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. He just, yeah. He recycles a hundred different ways, uh -huh. but I say seven different things. That's it, man. Uh, and it was it's finally, and, and this, that this clicked is this for me morning, right now. Right? That clicked for I'm me like, right now. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, mm -hmm. You know, nine hours ago, it clicked for me, right? <laughs> it's like, uh, oh yeah, you're right. And so what did I do? I went and I reworked an old blog post today. It's updated. I added 600 words to it. I added a couple of diagrams. I might shoot a video to go with along with it, but, you know, regenerating some of this old stuff. And so it's like, okay, I started thinking, like you just said, it clicked. What are my seven things? What are those things going to be? And, and so, you know, we get back to, you know, how much content I create and things like that. I, I want to say this too. I write for me. Right. Oh. You or your I'm audience. I'm glad you like it. Mm-hmm. But I write for me. There is nothing that has ever made a bigger impact on my ability to sell than my writing because it's there in black and white. It is, um, it's, it has to stand up to scrutiny for a long time because I write things that stay forever. I may go back and update them, but you know, I'm, I'm not gonna, um, I'm not deleting that old blog post. I'm just recreating a new blog post. I'm going to link back to the old one so you can see where it came from. The, um, these thoughts, these frameworks, these lessons, these, you know, whatever it is you want to call them, for me to put them down, scrutinize them, come back, make sure that is unambiguous. Do I really mean to say that? How do I say that? Um, like that is super important for clarity. Because if it's not clear to me, there's no way in hell it's going to be clear to you right, right. when I say it. And so the writing is for me, the, but writing, I can't write or type as fast as I can think. So I love conversations like this because now I'm thinking out loud in real time and I'm listening. And I, you know, during our pre-call, um, I remember saying stuff, I was like, oh, I've never said it that way before. Send me the transcript, <laughs> send <laughs> I got me you. the recording because <laughs> I need, I need to go back to that time. And um, mm -hmm. so, you know, my podcast it actually hurt me a little bit when I put it on YouTube. I know it needed to be there. My producer was like, dude, you got to get on YouTube, man. And um, so now I, I just, now I just, I speak to a camera instead of just looking off in the corner of my basement while I'm down here. <laughs> but me having to be locked in on that camera distracts me just enough to where I don't quite get to that extra level of hypnosis so to speak when i'm when i'm just thinking right, out right. Loud. when the lights are on it's a different like, modality you're, you're thinking uh differently not yeah. i wouldn't say less clearly but yeah it's just like we were in right before we go up to hit record on the podcast it's more free-flowing it's dynamic and then all of a sudden somehow the structure and the the pressure starts so as soon as you hit the record button get this right well, it, yeah but so recording doesn't bother me. It's the attention of making sure eye contact with the camera mm. because I would record stuff before when I wasn't on camera and I've recorded some stuff for a, a private podcast that, that half of those episodes never really got to more than 20 people. Um, they were really good too. I got to find a way to work some of those back in, but um, 
I'm just literally just looking off, sometimes looking down at my desk, sometimes looking at the microphone, sometimes just visualizing who I'm talking to, knowing that record was on because when the, when the recording starts, it's game time. Right. So you have to step into that role. Um, but there's an additional level. It's almost, I don't want to be so trite as to say it's an out-of-body experience, but there, there is a point in time to where you're not entirely you you're not aware of your feet being on the, the the floor or your butt being on the chair mm. you're you're just kind of you're so in the soup so to speak that you're just so mindful and in so in touch with your um with your thoughts and and what you're saying and it's kind of a it's a real it uh, there's less resistance to the stream of consciousness. That's probably the way that I can describe it best. And when I have to be focused on something else, it just adds a little more resistance to that stream of consciousness. It's not really even a distraction. I'm not worried about what I look like. I'm not really any more worried about what I sound like. It's just whether or not you can tap into that space where you lose track of time and you're just talking. And the more I do it, the better I get at it. And so it's becoming less and less of an issue. But, um, you know, I say all that to say, like, I do some of my best work when I am free flowing, sitting in front of this microphone. That's for me. And that helps me articulate the things that I need to say so that I can write them later. And that entire process brings me so much closer to the content, to the concepts, to the frameworks that with that kind of practice and with that daily routine of creating something, man, I get in front of a customer and they're in. Right. It's it's and, innate at that point, right? Yeah. Hard-coded. Mm -hmm. What percentage of your engagements are like consulting versus training versus coaching, you know, is there, is it all intermixed or is, you know, are a big portion of your engagements strictly an advisory? What's, what are those engagements typically look like, you know, with you and your practice? Typically now it's, it's more consulting than anything. Um, what's the difference between coaching and consulting? <laughs> I don't know. Um, is it consulting because it's a VP and is it coaching because it's a, a an SDR? I, I you know, I, I don't know. I've always had a hard time defining those lines. Most of what I do is consulting. There are some people who will come in and say, hey, Jeff, we want you for our sales kickoff. Can you come in on Thursday night? You know, maybe have dinner with executives, do a kickoff on Friday, a couple of breakouts on Friday and hey, maybe hang around and play golf with us, you know, at Top Golf or something for the social event and fly out Saturday. Yeah, love doing that. And is that more training? Yes. Is there consulting that goes along with that? Yes, because when we're picking my content and what I'm going to speak about, mm -hmm. I'm digging in and I want to know what problems you're trying to solve and I want to know how I can best solve them. Like if you're bringing me in, I'm not going to be a waste of your money. But is that a little bit of consulting and the idea exchange sure. and well, have you thought about this and should I take this approach? And, um, you know, so there are those kind of shorter term gigs that, that seem to be more, um, training. Um, I do some coaching, I do some leadership coaching, uh, some one-off for some, some, uh, high performing AEs as well as sales managers. Mm -hmm. Um, typically those are just consulting gigs for companies that aren't big enough to actually bring me in for a formal consulting agreement. Yeah. Um, but with all of my consulting work, not all of it, but with most of my consulting work, there's some training that goes along with it. 
because my ideas being different, like we talked about before, it's like, oh, Jeff, that sounds great. Well, how do we get the team on board with that? All right, well, let's get them all together. I'll draw up the frameworks for them, help them see things the way I see it, and then help support them through coaching to start to, you know, kind of perform along those lines. So I, I think they're all, there's a big Venn diagram. Um, and I think probably if I have to break it down, it's probably 50% consulting, 30% coaching and 20% training, you know, if, if we're going to, um, break it down that right. way, but, um, in a, but in yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of intermixing happening there. And, and I, I absolutely yeah. understand that, you know, in, in my practice, it's definitely, uh, a mix. There's time where you're doing, you know, straight coaching, but in order to do effective coaching and training with the team on the front line, I might've had to do some strategic advisory uh, in advance with leadership to install whatever the go-to-market motion is, where the expectations are, what the delivery model is that we're kind of, you know, working under the assumption of. So yeah, I, th I agree a hundred percent. And yeah, the, the line between consulting and coaching you know, coaching executives, coaching managers and directors versus advising them and providing advice or, you know, consulting practice. Yeah. I think that can be somewhat of a gray area. A question though, you know, have you ever taken a client or clients where you knew it probably wasn't a good fit for you, but you took it anyway? It's happened. It's been years since it's happened. I learned my lesson. When was the first time it happened? When was the last time it happened? That was probably 2018, 2019. And it all runs together because the, you know, COVID, I think it was 2019. It might've been 2018, actually. It doesn't matter. Um, I took this. This is funny. You'll appreciate this, Derek. I didn't like the way this guy talked. I didn't like the energy just coming through the phone. I didn't like the way he talked about his employees and, and I didn't like just the, the whole vibe it was just too aggressive. And I was like, this guy's letting his ego get in the way of his decision-making. He's letting his, he won't listen to me, but he was interested. He wanted to move forward and it was like the fall. And I was like, I could take this short term. Ah, it'll more than pay for Christmas. Like, you know, maybe that's, maybe this works. And I was shot. like, you know what? Maybe this will be a good test of my boundaries. And I'm going to tell you, if you are ever in a situation where you're like, I wonder if this is going to be just a good test of my boundaries. Your boundaries need not be tested. <laughs> like that is your proof that you have boundaries in place. Signal, signal, red flag. Them, right. <laughs> so, um, I remember I, I worked with this guy. It was, you know, all in all, it was a, a, a three month engagement, I think, that we signed up for. And then, um, you know, a month into it, I was like, yeah, I don't think this is going to work. Mm. And then by the time we we got through, you know, partway through the second month, and I was, I had to send him the other half of the invoice. And I was like, yeah, I'm just not going to send the invoice and I'm going to, I'm going to cut them loose. And it just so you, you fired your own client as well. I, I asked that if I asked another consultant about that uh, in another interview, and they had a story about yeah, I've had to fire several clients. Um, never have a better day in sales than when you fire your worst client. Mm. <laughs> never. And and it's funny. As soon as I did, and I just I, we, it, it went well. I just said, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I'm giving you what you need. I, I think you will be better served over here. 
And let me, I can find some people I can put you in touch with. I'm going to finish up these next couple of weeks. I'm not sending that invoice. We're going to tie up some loose ends here. That's fine. But this just, this, I don't think I'm what you need right now. And he, you know, he took it well. He reached out to me actually recently, oh. you know, wanted to have take, you know, have so there's no Ill, Ill will or anything. That's good. No, no, I just, he wasn't a good fit. And, um, I was 15 pounds lighter as soon as I had that conversation. Like that's when, you know, getting a couple of you know? more hours of sleep at night now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and yeah. he would call and he'd be upset about something. And I'm like, dude, did you? No, you didn't. You didn't open the email that you, like you already asked for this stuff. I gave it to you and you just didn't read it. Like what? It, and it just, it went you can't right help to, everybody. And it's not going to be a fit with everybody. I mean, within the day we're, you know, we are the service and we are the product that's being delivered. So it's important that yeah. there are synergistic aspects there for sure. I'm, you know, and it was, it was clear to me, he was looking for something that I couldn't give him. And, and that was, I think we were both interested enough in moving forward. He's super ambitious. I was trying to make a dent, you know, and, and let's, let's go. And, um, that, that ambition got the best of us and it, it blinded us to, I, I think, what was the truth. It's an important lesson. You know, it's, it's hard to say no when the money's in your hand and, uh, you know, we salespeople, I think you, you, you hit on this before where, you know, we have conditioned ourselves to think that. We should be able to sell everything. And mm -hmm. I think that bleeds into being a sales consultant where we feel like we should be able to solve everything. Uh, and it, we may be able to solve some tough problems, but we may not be able to you know, partner in that scenario. So I think it's important that we qualify our customers. Import, uh, you know, but the thing is, not everybody's in that position to do that. I think that's, it goes back to the transition of how you got into the game and yeah. how you sustained yourself. And, you know, did you save up six months runway so that you didn't get into situations like that and take bad money? Um, you know, I got lucky early on where it was a good engagement that I was able to transition out of a full-time gig and there was great synergy there. The person who actually hired me was an interim CEO as my first client. And, um, you know, he was a, refer you know, it was a recommendation from an old VP of sales that I reported to. And so this interim CEO, uh, was there for maybe a month and a half during the engagement. And then they, he was terminated by the private equity firm and replaced with a full-time CEO. And so that was nerve wracking. And at, at first I really thought it was going to be, you know, uh, I'm next scenario, but it ended up transitioning into something more uh, fruitful than I originally thought. So, you know, you never really know sometimes how these things are going to turn out. And I think we get tempted to get into it and see how it's going to go, but it can really take you off course, right? It can really uh, damage your practice or your ability to focus and deliver for other clients. If you're constantly, you know, babysitting, you know, when that's, you know, a little bit more high maintenance or difficult to work with. For sure. Uh, sure. It so gets in the way. You know, part of why I started this podcast was to get better as a consultant and to learn from the best. How do you go about getting better as a sales consultant, sales trainer? You know, I've been fortunate, you know, <laughs> the content has resonated with some people and it's typically the people who are trying to do the same thing themselves or, mm -hmm. um, just, you know, when something comes across their desk or across their computer screen, they, they're like, oh, this is good. I, I like what this guy has to say. And um, so I've been, I guess my answer to that question is I've been pretty fortunate to build a network that includes people like you. It includes, you know, people like Jason Bay and Todd Capone and Mike Weinberg and Anthony and Reno and 
Jeffrey Gittimer and and just there's well, so many more. be listed that, with that, that I just, list. I mean, and I, I just I listed a bunch of guys. So hold on, let me. So Samantha McKenna and Amy Volus and and like th- these people take my calls. It's like, well, what are we like? What? And um, but you know, I mean, you were a guest on the Why and the Buy several years ago. That podcast was a great connection engine for me. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's like. You know, I think Mark Hunter came on that show like three times because he's just like, can I come back? That was fun. Like, so knowing what you're talking about, having a good time doing it, um, it, it connects you with a lot of people. So, you know, those people take my calls and I call them with questions and sometimes they call me with questions. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I say this with as much humility as I possibly can, but I recognized a couple of years ago that I'm in a pretty fortunate position when the people like the ones I listed and several others, when, when, you know, those are the people that salespeople will turn into podcasts to listen to those people. Right. Like, so, so Joe Schmo is turning in to listen to Mike Weinberg on a, on a podcast. Cause Mike's always bringing fire. Right. Um, I just pick up the phone and call him. I don't listen to him on podcasts. I pick up the phone and call him, right? And he takes my calls. It's like, so that, that's that's what I do to get better. You know, I'm always searching for that next thing. Um, for a while, I had kind of a, a monthly try to get together. Let's pick the third Friday of the month or whatever. And let's just, hey, what are we all working on? How we can, you know, how can we support you? Um, and that kind of fell apart after a while because people get pulled in different directions. Um Todd Capone and I for the last couple of years have gotten together and all right, man, let's set aside a few hours and and let's break up. What do you, how'd you do this year? What's your, what are your goals for next year? You know, where are you going with this? What kind of help do you need? More of a deep dive. Um, but uh, yeah, like when I have pricing concerns, I, I send text messages when I, you know, um, need to refer somebody out, send Network. a message. Let, let's, right. let's see what we can do. So it's really just networking and building enough trust with these people to, um, to, and, and not just building into trust, but being willing to be vulnerable enough to say, I don't know the answer to this. <laughs> right. Right. What do you, how do you do this? And I don't want to give anything away, but more often than not, it's, I don't know, see if this works. This is what I do. I don't know why it works, but it always has. So see if it works for you. And you realize that, um, it's way more art than science in some ways like that. When you get to the point where you're freelancing like this, you know, people are coming to you because of the way you do it. There's not a mold that you need to fit into. It's it's really like, okay, I, I mean, your agreements should make sense and you shouldn't be priced way out of market, but like, oh, you want to do it? You want to do it that way? Oh, okay, cool. Let's, I mean, like um, before every one of my engagements with a team, I have a players only meeting. And I, I don't know if any other people do this. I haven't heard of anybody else doing it, but I love it because I have a meeting with the leader and I want to know what the leader thinks her team needs. And I meet with the team. I'm like, okay, what do you really need? Yeah, what's the reality? You're not able to tell her, right? Mm-hmm. And I get these two versions of the same reality. And that kind of discovery is invaluable to put together the elements of what that engagement looks like. And, you know, so- People are like, you want to do a what? You want you want a players? I'm working with executive assistants. They're like, help me understand what this is. I'm like, oh, that's the way I do it. And I love it. Right. So 
you 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 learn what works. You learn right, some right. things to stay away from, and you right. learn some things that are out there that are so random and off the wall. Uh, I wonder though if the players only did that come out of not doing it before, and they're realizing, oh crap, I should get into doing these sessions before getting into these engagements and writing the SOW. Um, yeah, I'm someone who, like, I can never do enough discovery. Right. right. Um. And you you make. Uh, you always, I mean, there's a point in time where you have to make assumptions, but, um, you know, sometimes those assumptions are just like, you know, this would have been prevented if I could have just talked with people ahead of time. Right, right. right. And so now I just ask. You learn as you go, right. Mm -hmm. Last topic, and I'll let you go. I know you're a busy guy and, you know, it's, it is a holiday today, actually. Um, the selling with integrity topic has been hot yeah. for you. You've been uh, talking with it with uh, the podcast interviews you've been on in your own podcast and your content. It's been a hot topic, and I have been loving what you're saying about this. And especially when you start getting into kind of graphing it out and looking at what we're talking about. So, just for those who are listening, you, obviously you might think when we say sell with integrity that we're saying, you know, be honest and. Uh, do what's right, do the thing, the correct thing when no one's looking, those maybe uh, traditional definitions that we might be uh, familiar with. But yeah. what Je Jeff is talking about is being whole, right? The word um, integrity, I think what you've educated us on stems from the word integer, which is, you know, a mathematical uh, term for whole numbers, right? And so, in order to sell with integrity, you need to sell with your whole self, or um, I'm, I'm sort of paraphrasing here, mm -hmm. but you need to be whole or you need to be aligned with those core values and principles. It needs, you know, when you go into an organization as a seller, as an example, are you selling with your whole self? Are you selling with integrity? Is, is the company's sales process, sales methodologies, uh, their strategies and principles congruent with ones that you feel whole with? Um, am I going down? The right track here with how I'm defining this. Love it. And okay. it's funny, the word congruent is one I haven't used in too long. That's another great adjective. You're you're helping my uh there you you go. Know, my my stream of consciousness thesaurus here. Um in a four-week span, um, I heard John Gordon at Outbound say the word integrity on stage and mention it as the root or mention the, init the initial root of integer to mean to be whole. And then a few weeks later, I was at Scott Ingram's sales success summit and Ian Koniak gave a similar presentation. Actually, it, it was a completely different presentation, but hit on the same thing is that integer means whole integrity means selling as a whole. And I was like, okay, I have my own angle to take on it. Um, and I was, I was, I was actually backstage. John was on the stage right before, or like two speakers before me. So Very I was cool. getting mic'd up when he came off the stage and, and I was like, and he's like, How, what did you think? And he's like, I've never spoken to a sales specific audience this big before. And I said, thank you for throwing the word integrity out there. I said, it's part of my, my discussion, Great you know, setup. tomorrow <laughs> in my workshop. I mean, it's, you hit on something there and I'm glad you did. It's validation from one of the best. I mean, he's a tremendous speaker. And then when Ian brought it up, who's a killer coach and, you know, top performing account executive at Salesforce for several years. And I mean, these are people who know what they're talking about and they were getting at the same thing that I was getting at. But for me, integrity means alignment and you can't do your very best work unless you are aligned with the work that you were doing. And by alignment, I mean, 
what you sell, who you sell it to, how you sell it and why. And, you know, you can be very, very successful and make small concessions with your integrity. Right. And maybe this isn't the best company, but I, you know, um, I like the people I serve and I find a way to make it work. Right. Or, um, yeah, I'm not that passionate about this product that I sell, but I like the service. I like the problem solving. The good. pays good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, so people make small concessions all the time, but when you do your very best work, there are no concessions being made. And the, the gap for mm -hmm. me to illustrate is like, how much of that are you giving up? You know, and, and what I mentioned, you know, in the podcast episode was like, okay, so if you're giving all that away and you're not doing your best work, what did you sell it for? What did you get in exchange for the giving of that much of your integrity? And why did you discount so much? Mm -hmm. Do you recognize the non-monetary fulfillment mm -hmm. of, you know, selling? I mean, that's the other thing is, look, when you get in the right spot and your intentions and your, your and you yourself are very congruent with the who, the what, the how, and the why, um, and you can you can make a ton of money, but you also have a ton of non-monetary fulfillment and compensation in that regard. That is, I mean, that's the reason you do it. I mean, Derek, we've already talked about this. You and I could make way more money than we do right now. I don't know your position, but I promise we, you and I can make way more money than we do right now if we're just willing to sell some of our integrity, right? It, we could go, we could figure it out. We could be, you know, um, finance guys on wall street. You know, we could have our own planes. We could do all kinds of stuff. We could be big shooter, high rollers, but we're not for lots of reasons. Right. And those reasons represent our integrity. And we're only willing to stray so far away from the things that make us whole as humans. I refuse to be an absentee father. I want to be the best partner I can be to my wife because she has been a better partner than I deserve. She, you know, like she's like my favorite human in the world and the best thing that's ever happened to me. And she makes me a better man every single day. Hmm. I don't want to dishonor that. Right. I would never dishonor that for a job that I can make a couple hundred thousand extra dollars, like above a certain level, what do you need? And what are you selling it for? Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. That, that's, that's the thing. And so, you know, giving up your peace and happiness and clarity for the, you know, a certain size paycheck, you know, it's, 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 it's basic, right? Like you're not happy in the role that you're in. You're not going to, if you're not fulfilled. You're probably not going to do your best work. It's, you know, uh, easy to understand on that, on that surface, but very difficult to, you know, correct or deploy out of, right. You know, does someone just walk away from their job uh, do they plan a, an attack, you know, start applying and update the resume. But the bigger question for me in, is around the organizational side of it, because, you know, the, the organization has those methodologies that we talked about, those philosophies, whatever, mm -hmm. right. They're going to market process and they want to, I would think in most cases, be as congruent as aligned with people that they're hiring as well. But how do like, how does a leader operationalize that? If the, you know, if do you do you make it a practice to find out if people are not aligned? You know, what? 
how does a manager take that selling with integrity, this concept of being whole and try and promote that within an organization? You have to be willing to get vulnerable and have tough conversations, which is what mm -hmm. leadership's all about. Right, right. Um, does the VP need to have a conversation with all 50 of her reps? No. But that VP's probably got five or six managers that she needs to be having conversations with. And those managers need to be having conversations with the eight to nine reps that they have. There's a reason organizations scale that way. And you got to be willing to talk. Got to be willing to explore. Got to be willing to be vulnerable. You got to be willing to be curious. That's what makes a great culture. You know, we like to hide behind the revenue. I like to hide behind, well, it's a results-oriented game. As long as I'm selling X amount of uh, dollars of product or solution or service, you know, this quarter, then there's no target on my back. I'm flying below the radar. Yeah, flying below the radar is not leadership. Right, not at all. Flying, I mean, it's a great way to keep your job and you got to keep your job. But it it only lasts for so long. There's there's a shelf life to that. So you, you lead a team, you need to at least once a year, hopefully twice a year, quarterly if you're lucky, although that might be a little too often, just say, hey, Derek, how you doing? Off the record, just you right. and me. Like what, is this your dream job? are you getting the non-monetary benefits of this job? Do you feel fulfilled when you win a new customer or does it just feel like work again? And if it doesn't, how do I help? I, I'm, there's no penalty here. This is an off the record conversation. And, you know, HR has changed a little bit in the last seven years since I've been out of it, you know, the corporate world. And I don't really have an HR department because I have to manage myself, which is, not a not easy to do either. I right? want to yeah. give to anybody in HR, but you know, so there might be some rules there about what an on the record versus off the record conversation has. And I, I will ad ad admit to my ignorance when it comes to some of those rules. And I can understand why a rep may not totally trust their leader, but why don't you trust your leader? Right, 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 right. And, and, and isn't it even okay from an HR standpoint, maybe there's a certain way you have to ask the question, but don't, isn't it your responsibility as a leader to make sure that those people, that you're doing right by them by making sure they're in the right place? That's why they call it people leadership. They're not calling right? it, you know, just, you know, any old kind of leadership. You're, you're, you're leading people. And one thing I've tried to promote as often as possible and live by uh, is that our level of engagement as leaders directly correlates with our team's level of success. And someone might hear that mm -hmm. and think that it has to do with listening to cold calls or being in the discovery call with your rep and running, you know, helping them close the deal and being the superhero manager. And, you know, what it can also mean is your ability to connect with the human and put people before profits. And do you know the names of the kids? Do you know the, the age of their kids when their anniversary is? Do you know what makes them tick and what their motivators are? You know, a lot of this we we try to solve for in the hiring process, but the hiring process isn't perfect. We try to instill a certain type of culture that is inclusive and these different things. And, you know, it does its best. But at the end of the day, the front line, it's our, our individual managers that can create this environment where people can be open and honest and vulnerable about the lack of alignment that they might be feeling with you know, the existing, you know, strategy or, or tactics that are being deployed, you know, and sometimes it's just not a connection with the manager and, and these different things. But, you know, when, when I heard the conversation and I've heard it, you know, I've been going back and listening to your discussions on the integrity piece. The one thing that I w was 
challenge with is if I'm a leader and I'm trying to operationalize this, I can't go to my board and say, well, you know, I'm going to let them sell like them. Because I think that's where this leads to is a concept that you promote. And I believe in hundred percent is, you know, being your authentic self and selling like you. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really, really important. But again, you know, a sales leader is not going to go to the board and say, you know, I'm letting them sell however they want to um, I'm, they, in order for them to be in alignment and be whole. And so I think you had talked about how there's different layers or levels to, to this. And we can, the macro level as leaders, we can really oversee and create that environmental uh, conditions that allow them to bring their own fluid, their own you know, juice, if you will, to, to the job and let them individualize their, their, their job uh, a little bit and use their own style, their own form of communication and help them be their own little miniature CEOs of their world of work. Right. So there's this mm -hmm. boundaries that we can set as leaders or these guidelines that we can put up, but in, in the, in the heart of that, you've hired someone really smart to do a really, you know, important job. And I think the trust factor is where you have to be willing at some point to let them go and do do them. Is that somewhat congruent with 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 your thinking, Zar? A hundred percent. I mean, cool. and if you can't go to your board and say that, then maybe you're going to the wrong board. Hmm. Maybe that's not your board for much longer. And that's a possibility too, right? Right. right, right. But you know, the the authenticity piece, you know, I had a conversation with my manager right after I started a new job. This was 15 years ago. And, and uh, he's like, I've never seen anybody do it like this. He's like, you sure that's going to work? I said, no, <laughs> but you hired me. You hired me to be me. This is what I think this position needs. I'll tell you, I'll make a deal with you. And we're going to give it a shot for three months. If you don't like the way I'm approaching this and it's not working, then I'm willing to learn. Show me a different way. Um, if we go three months and it works and you still don't like it, well, we have a different issue. <laughs> but, you know, the the thing is, you know, we, we talked a little bit about guardrails and, and things. You know, the sales process is rigid. Four steps. You identify who you can help. You get their attention. You communicate your value. You ask for next steps. That has to happen. That's the science of selling is a rigid process. The methodology by which we accomplish those four steps is the art of selling. That is individual. Mm -hmm. That is where you get to sell your way. You get to put those headphones on and be jamming away uh, whatever playlist you're listening to while you're banging out emails where I would prefer to be on the phone. And it doesn't matter as long as we identify who we can help, we get their attention, we communicate our value, and we ask for next steps. And now, you know, well, how does a leader say, well, I can just have everybody going willy-nilly? Well, no, because everybody's actions, while different, are aimed at accomplishing the same end because we have those guidelines, those boundaries in the process that allow the methods to be as individual as fingerprints. And that is how you create the ecosystem where people can do their best work. Go, Derek, do it your way. But I'll tell you what, you and I, Every month, we're going to review the results. And as long as you're getting it done, man, go do it. Do you be inspired, be creative, be vulnerable, be willing to try something new that you may learn doesn't work. But until you learn that that doesn't work, you don't know what else will work. So let's create this beautiful state of flow. And let's all do our very best work. You won't do your very best work if you're stifling yourself from, from day one. 
But learning how to do your best work sometimes means doing pretty shitty work. Every once in a while, you end up doing something that just doesn't work that well. Right. But you learned it. Cross it off the list. Don't do that anymore. Okay. What do we learn? How do we move on? Even as long as you learn something, it's a success. So now we're in this great place. It kind of feels like there's very little control. Well, no, no, no. There's very little micromanagement. There's very little stringent, you know, grip, you know, on the day to day. You're letting people be themselves, but you have an agreement with them that you are both trying to achieve the same end. And you are agreeing with them to an extent on a timeline by which that's going to be taken care of. So in that essence, you're leaving them able to manage themselves. Like, all right, I really want this to work, but I don't know if I have enough time to make it work. Now I have to figure out how I can still get the result I'm looking for while still feeling like I'm giving this a go, right? And maybe you segment your accounts and all right, Mr. Manager, I'll do it this way for you because we got a number to hit, but I really have faith in this other modality or this other technique here. I'm going to put in a little extra time to give that the space to grow, right? That's an inspiring project. That's Absolutely. that's a way that someone is learning how this business works. It's going to be worth it to them. To you know? I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's so look, corporations want repeatability. They want consistency. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not against anybody making money and I'm not against anybody keeping promises that they make to their investors. But when we let the pressure of the situation take us out of an environment where we can do our best work. We're doing ourselves a disservice. We're doing our families a disservice. We're doing our customers a disservice. And you know what? There's always going to be willing, there's always going to be somebody willing to sell some of their integrity for that pressure and for that paycheck. It doesn't have to be you. I love that. Options. Thank, thank you, Jeff. That uh, is spot on. And I think that's probably definitely a clip that we're going to have to use for social, man. That was, <laughs> I mean, honestly, this is an important issue and you know, where we are in the current state of things in our economy, we have to be more mindful of our effective management practices, the environments that we're creating for our people. You know, we're making a big investment and we want to get the most out of them, but we also want to put the most in, right? We also want to make sure mm-hmm. that they're as fulfilled as possible. And I think that's what the aim for really good organizations is. Uh, Jeff, this has been great, been super enlightening. Where should people find you? Jeffbajoric.com. Um, that's one place you can go. You can go to rethinktheWayYouSell.com. It's actually the best place to find my content. If you want to learn about me and what I do, you can go to jeffbajoric.com. If you want to learn about the podcast, if you want to learn about the blog, um, rethinktheWayYouSell.com is a, a community site that I've put up where they created the spaces for me to organize this stuff in such a way that it's really easily accessible. Um, that's also a really good way to get a hold of me. And if you want to just get involved in the circus, you can follow me at LinkedIn too, um, at Jeff Bajoric. You've been listening to the Sales Consultant Podcast. If you enjoyed the interview and would like to support the show, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or on Spotify. Please also consider following our LinkedIn page. If you're an industry expert or if you know an industry expert that should be on the show, message us on LinkedIn at the Sales Consultant Podcast.